Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Start and end your day with the good news. The good news with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at AngieAustinRadio.com. Now, here's Angie Austin and friends with the good news. Hey, it is Angie Austin and friends with the good news. Uh, we've got the good news gals here, Jennifer and Michelle, Donna and Miss Cindy. My mom is hanging out watching and producer Dave, a good news guy. Uh, now, Michelle, uh, you mentioned when we had Ian Humphrey's testimony on recently, uh, he wrote a book, It's Not About the Knockdown. You said, I'm friends with him. Would you like to have him come in? So we played his testimony, and I thought, well, we've got to have him come in as well. So thank you, Ian, for coming in. Thank you for having me. You're Appreciate welcome. It. You're welcome. All right, so um, I related to your story somewhat. Just um, forgiveness and Christ has been a big thing for me, being able to up- overcome my past. And I lost a brother to murder and another brother uh, to homelessness and addiction. Uh, and a dad, uh, alcoholic for many decades and a lot of violence in our home. My mom, a victim of domestic violence, and really felt that when I was in foster care, I didn't have a bad experience in foster care like you did, but was brought to church. And so that's where I really got my foundation in life and really was taught just the basics of, you know, how to be a good person. And um, and also to feel love that was unconditional. So I related to your story and, you know, um, the redemption and the forgiveness and really turning your life around. And the love of your grandmother really touched our hearts as well. So if it's okay with you, I'm going to play some of your testimony and then we're going to talk to you about it. Does that sound good? Absolutely. Sounds great. And this is, um, you actually were hired by the Tennyson Center for Children that many people are familiar with. Kids who, you know, uh, through no fault of their own are, you know, living childhoods, uh, suffering through violence. And uh, so that's where we got this uh, video, and I saw it on Facebook, and then it happened to be that, you know, Michelle was friends with you, and that's how we lucked out getting Ian in here. So let's take a listen to Ian Humphreys. My grandmother became my first hero. Growing up, my grandmother never used an alarm clock. But every morning, my grandmother would wake up at 4.15. And at 4.16, her feet would hit the floor, usually right in front of my face. And that's what would wake me up. But I would lay there, and I would pretend like I was still asleep because me and 415 really didn't get along. But grandma would look at the back of my head, I could feel her staring at me, and then finally she would say, now sugar, grandmama know you ain't sleep. You just supposed to go on and get on up and get ready for school. And my grandmother was known for saying things that would kind of make you a little angry because they made so much sense and you couldn't argue with her. <laughs> parents, you know, there are things that you, when you become parents, you start to say to your own kids. Like my grandmother would say, Now, son, you knew when you laid down there last night that you had to get up this morning. <laughs> I don't know why every single morning you lay there and act surprised. You ought to be thankful that the Lord saw fit to wake you up this in your right mind. <laughs> but what my grandmother was encouraging me to do was simply to be grateful for the opportunity. In spite of all that I had been through in my life, she just wanted to make sure that I understood the opportunity that I've been given. My life got started, it was a little rough, it was a little rough start. I was born two months premature, 
my mother was walking up a flight of stairs and she didn't know this at the time, but a woman she had had an argument with earlier was standing above her holding a pot of boiling water. As my mom made her way up those stairs, that woman dumped that water onto my mom and sent her tumbling down the stairs and into premature labor. She received third degree burns to over 25% of her body. And when we were finally allowed to leave the hospital, as you can imagine, my mom was in a great deal of pain. Those burns just narrowly, barely missed her face and covered most of the front of her body. So when we got home, she began taking a heavy sedative, pain medication to help her recover. When she took that medication, it was very difficult for her to watch me, so I would bounce around a lot. I'd stay with my mom for a little bit, and then I'd go stay with grandma, and I'd stay with some neighbors, aunties, and then back to my mother's house. I did that for the first three years of my life. I was three years old, I was back at my mom's house, and I got into her purse, I found that medication, I swallowed everything in the bottle. When they found me, they rushed me to the hospital, and my heart would stop, and eventually I went into a coma. But because of that accident, because of that incident, the state of California, they did an investigation. And the conclusion that they came to was that it wasn't an accident. They removed me from my mother's home, I was made a ward of the, ward of the state, and eventually I went into a foster care system. Shortly after I arrived to one of my foster homes, my foster mom, her name was Miss Alexander. Miss Alexander began locking me inside the closet with a light. She'd open the closet door, and she'd kick me, hit me with a stick or a strap or whatever she could, whatever she had. It was while I was in that foster home that I was sexually abused for the first time in my life. And oftentimes people ask, you know, if that has to be the worst thing that could happen to someone. I have scars on my body that you can't see. I have a burn here in my hand that she put there with an iron. But all of that pain went away. The worst thing that Mrs. Alexander would do is she would open the closet door, she would stand over me, and she would say, you're stupid and you ain't gonna ever amount to nothing. And that hurt me more than any of the physical kicks or the physical pain because I believed it for a long time. I believed that, that I would never amount to anything, just like she said. I didn't know this at the time, I found out a little bit later, but my grandmother, my hero, she had started going back and forth to court, trying to prove that she could take care of an active, handsome little boy. <laughs> and eventually the state of California, they granted her full custody of me. And I'll never forget, I was, I'll never forget standing on Miss Alexander's front porch waiting. She had my little belongings, everything that, that I had. I remember standing there, it may have only been a half an hour, but it felt like an eternity. And I can remember thinking, maybe no one's coming. But after a while, at the end of the block, I see the ugliest car I've ever seen in my life. And the car pulls up right in front of the porch. <laughs> and I remember all I could see are these two big glasses, bifocals. And I found out later that Grandma had glaucoma. She wasn't even supposed to be driving. <laughs> but she gets out of that big car, and she's got on this white floppy hat with this, it was a flower right there in the middle. And I remember she had on this long white dress that came all the way down to her ankles. And I found out later that, you know, that was Grandma's Sunday best. It was an outfit that she only reserved for special occasions. And I can remember for once in my life feeling like I was some special occasion. But I remember jumping into Grandma's arms and squeezing her, and I remember her whispering and saying to me, everything's okay. You're family. And everything was okay, just like Grandmother said. And I had a lot to look forward to. I found out that my mom was going to court trying to prove that she could take care of me. And I can remember sitting there with my mother and we, we'd talk 
and we had a lot of different conversations. One thing I can remember saying, Mama, you know, one day when I get big, I'm gonna buy you a nice house with a fireplace. I said, Mama, one day I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy you a nice car. Not like grandmama's, and get you a nice one. <laughs> but the truth is, I just really wanted to become a family again. And that's what I looked forward to. When I was 12 years old, I was asleep on my grandmother's floor. It was about four o'clock in the morning. We get a knock on the door. And it was my mom's roommate. Miss Howe, Miss Howe, come quick. Miss Howe was my grandma. She said, come quick, it's, it's Ruth. Ruth was my mom. She said, I can't wake her up, I think she's dead. And I can remember laying on that floor, you know, kind of wishing it was, thinking, hoping that it was maybe a dream. But it wasn't. And that's how I found out that all the hopes and dreams and things that I had to look forward to weren't gonna happen. I became very angry. I became confused, I was hurt. I didn't really understand what was happening. I started acting out, hanging out with the wrong people, breaking into houses, started stealing cars. I remember not really caring what happened to me. I continued that behavior until I was 19. When I was 19, I was found myself standing in front of a judge. I was handcuffed, I had a chain around my waist and my handcuffs were attached to that chain. The judge looked at me and says, the state of California sentences you to 15 years in prison for armed robbery and assault with a deadly weapon. That day, when that door closed behind me for the first time as a convicted felon, I remember standing in that empty cell. I remember my knees started to get weak and they started to shake uncontrollably. I ended up, I collapsed and I fell to the floor. And I just started crying alone. I remember. All right, sorry, it was a little abrupt there. I was trying to get Dave's attention to gradually give us a little transition. So uh, Ian Humphrey is here, and his book is It's uh, Not About the Knockdown. Um, that video I saw on Facebook, and he was speaking for the Tennyson Center here, uh, you know, children who are the victims of uh, violence, uh, who are abused, um, and obviously, Ian, you were as well at times. So I wanted to play some of that because it's hard to recount that, like when I give my testimony it's very difficult to recount some of those things, even though you have moved on in your life and have your own family and you're highly successful and you've written a book. It's interesting because I, I feel like the Lord heals you, but as you relive that stuff, the pain's still there. Absolutely. Absolutely it is. And it's been a, it's been a journey. It's been a long journey. Um, talking about it has been something that I debated for a very long time. I bet you did. Because you worry, you know, once I became successful, meaning I had a family, a good job, a career, I worried about what will people think. Exactly. Um, but at the same time, one thing that I don't talk about here is when I was in court and the day of my trial, my victim, I, I mean, I almost took a man's life. His daughter was there in the courtroom, and she was about seven or eight years old. And she took the stand, and she, brave little girl, looked at me, and she said, uh, you took my Superman away. Mm -hmm. Wow. To me, as a, as a man, as a young man who grew up without a father, who wanted someone to look up to, that really hit me in my heart. 
So I made a silent promise to her. I didn't, I didn't say I'm sorry right there on the spot because I felt that would have just fallen. It would have been empty. And it's an empty promise at that point. I'm going to prison. So I made a silent promise. I said, if I could ever, if I ever get out of prison, if I ever achieve any level of success, I'm going to continue to repay her back. So when the struggle came, when it came time for me to tell my story, that's one thing that I focused on. The second thing that I focused on was, you know, sometimes we, I believe sometimes some people are sent up ahead and sent through difficult times because someone knows that they're strong enough to make it through it and to reach back and pull other people through it. And for me, the struggle between not saying anything or having the ability to reach back and to help someone through a difficult time, I don't care what anyone's opinion is of me if they find out that that's my past. Do you think, too, that <clears throat> I don't know what happened in prison in terms of, you know, the transformation that occurred after you made that silent, uh, you know, uh, statement to yourself that you'd make it up to this girl or do something, you know, for her? Um, for me, I would always hide my past and living in low-income housing and my dad wasn't around. He wasn't speaking to us and just the situation with my brothers and the embarrassment because I excelled and did well in school and worked seven days a week all through high school and college. So I hid. I'd have people drop me off at some other house so they wouldn't know, or an apartment building that wasn't low-income housing so they wouldn't know where I lived. And then, you know, I would just fake it. You know, I wouldn't ever talk about my past. And then when I went to work for NBC in Los Angeles, I certainly didn't bring up my past. But there came a point like you where I felt that I had to speak about it because I was so grateful to the Lord for what he'd done for me and me being saved and having that sense of love in my heart and that foundation in my life and that many people in my family were still dealing with the tatters of our upbringing and didn't make it out, that I felt like I owed it to him as a thank you to talk about it and that I didn't care what people thought right. anymore. Right. And that's, that was my journey. Um, you know, in, in my neighborhood, where it was, you know, of course, I was born and raised in South Central L.A., uh, two blocks from where Stan Tukey Williams and Raymond Washington started the Crip Street Gang. <sighs> Stan Tukey Williams was electrocuted, or he was put to death in San Quentin's death row. So in that neighborhood, I was talking to someone the other day about this. In our neighborhood, I never saw a party thrown for someone that had graduated college. But I saw parties thrown for people that had gotten out of prison. Mm. Wow. So in that neighborhood, it was almost a badge of honor or something that was expected. It wasn't a surprise. No, no. So at 12, when your mom passed away, your grandma's raising you, uh, you mentioned her Sunday best. She obviously, and I'm assuming your mom as well, had instilled a lot of love and faith and kindness and good things into you. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, my grandmother, we were in church three days a week. My grandmother never wore pants. <laughs> she was I Pentecostal. It. I don't know if that means anything uh, mm -hmm. to you, but it means we were in church on Sunday from we're, 9 to 5. Right. <laughs> Michelle and I have joked about this. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, 9 to 5, right, like a job. Yes. Right. Yeah. When the Lord said it's time to go, that's when 
we left home. And people often wonder, someone commented on the video on Facebook and they said, well, they kind of felt like even though my grandmother was, they felt like I had still kind of gone against how my grandmother had raised me. And that may have been true, but I don't look at it that way. I look at it more of we all stray. But my grandmother gave me a very strong foundation. She gave you a path, and you may have wandered there off you of go. it, but you, got, yes. you found her path again. Mm -hmm. There you go. Yeah. When, when you have that foundation or you've been taught, then you know how to come back. You have a, you have a compass. Compass, a compass, yeah. yeah. When it's time, you at least can kind of right yourself. Right. So how, okay, so you get, you're in prison for 15 years. Mm -hmm. Then what happens? Well, I was, I was sentenced to 15 years. I was able to successfully have my sentence reduced. I was paroled after four years. Oh, wow. mm -hmm. So uh, then you go back to California, and now you have to fight that pool to go back into the life that you're trying to avoid. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's your grandmother's, where, was it her house you returned to? I went to my older brother's home okay. at that point. So when I left South prison. South Central? And he lived just north of L.A. in uh, San Bernardino. Okay. So he had moved out of L.A. He had bought himself a house in San Bernardino so that, so I was able to go there. Still knowing where he lived was a still a similar area to our neighborhood in LA. And what's crazy is when you come from a background like that, like mine, growing up getting into a lot of trouble, sometimes trouble just kinds of, it doesn't find you, but you have a way of finding it. But, so when I moved to Riverside or San Bernardino with my older brother, that pool is still there. I knew one person that lived here in Colorado, and he called me up and asked me, or he said to me, I think I can get you a job in Colorado, and that's how I found my way out here. Wow. And now here you are with four kids and a wife and your own company, and you're doing public speaking, and you have a book. Right. So <laughs> how did that happen? Well, you know, it was a chance that I took. I had never seen snow when I moved out here. <laughs> never seen a lick of snow. Crazy, isn't it? <laughs> but, you know, sometimes, and this is the second chapter of my book, sometimes you have to take some chances. So I saved up enough money for a one-way plane ticket because that's how important it was for me. Yeah. I said, you've got to make this work. Yeah. And I bought the biggest winter coat I could find. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know I tell people that if you had been in the airport the day I got here in December you you would have thought I, you saw a black snowman because <laughs> the coat was humongous <laughs> puffy, a puffy coat it was yeah. puffy but the problem is it was December but it was about 65 degrees oh, so everyone knew I was not from here <laughs> and it was it was a chance that I took that I felt was necessary but as you mentioned it's it paid off for me i'll uh, say yeah it's paid off for me and how long have you been here now i have been here almost almost 20 years it seems like another life doesn't it back it, back it when does. doesn't it it does it does and i think about it every every so often yeah uh, but as you mentioned earlier you know when you're speaking you know all those kind of thoughts kind of come back to you good thoughts 
bad thoughts. But when I really think about it, I'm proud of the progress that I've made. Oh, you should be. Ian, you should be. is it cathartic, like speaking? Is it cathartic to you? Like, is it like pro helping you process <laughs> over and over and over? Or does... It's funny that you mentioned that. It, it is very... It, it is. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, after going through a past like that, my wife convinced me to get counseling. Yeah, good. And I did, but speaking has been the best therapy for me. Wow, and when you're and you're helping others, maybe the Lord gives you that sense of peace because you are helping others. I want to make sure people can find you. The book it's not about the knockdown, Ian Humphrey. Ian Humphrey, and do you have a website, Ian? I do. You can go to www.ianhumphrey.com. Excellent. We'd love to have you back. Thanks for coming in. No worries. Thank you for having me. We'll be right back with the good news. The good news of Jesus for you in high definition radio and streaming at 670kltt.com. This is KLTT Commerce City, Denver. All right, Angie Austin here along with Adam. Adam is an ambassador with ARC, and when you shop at ARC, it helps the ambassadors. They help people in our community. Every dollar you spend helps, and everything you donate helps. ARC is a tremendous benefit to people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Now, there's a Saturday sale. Most items half off. If I'm a senior, 55 and over, on Tuesdays, most items are half off. How do we find out about that? ARCthrift.org. How about if I want to donate? Where do I donate? 303-238-JANE. You call them and they'll pick up whatever you need. Furniture, small, big. Medium. Uh, yep, absolutely. A, a small, big, medium. Yes, they'll bring the truck right on over. What's yes, the number? 303-238-JANE. Yeah, they bring a truck right to your house. 303-238-JANE. Yes, 303-238-JANE. ARCthrift.org. Does uh, ARC make you feel special? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I thought so. You are special. ARCthrift.org. As are you, babe. As are you. Thank you. Do you love working for ARC? I love ARC. Come to any of the YMCA of the Rockies locations to fill your days and nights with our exciting and educational programs and activities. At the YMCA of the Rockies, we put Christian principles into practice with our fun and informative programs. And our facilities are located in stunning environments that help build healthy minds, bodies, and spirits for all. At the YMCA of the Rockies, we love to provide real bonding experiences for families of all sizes. We also provide conferences of a religious educational or recreational nature and we specialize in offering traditional summer camping experiences for boys and girls at the ymca of the rockies every season brings affordable fun and excitement for the entire family ymca of the rockies has locations near winter park rocky mountain national park and grand lake go to ymcaoftherockies.org whether you are looking for adventure a better way to connect with your family or just a relaxing stroll we can set you on your way that's ymca of the Rockies.org. Hi, it's Angie. Thanks so much for listening to the good news. If you like the good news program and you'd like to support us, we need to partner up with businesses to keep this show going. I'd really like to keep it on the air and I need advertisers in order to do that. And I'd love to partner with you and help you build your business or your website. Maybe you're a nonprofit and you'd like to do an interview and you'd like to donate to us so that we can help you get donations as well. AngieAustinRadio.com AngieAustinRadio.com Just click on Contact Me. I would 
would love to partner up with you. I think this is a great program. We've been on the air for about seven years now, and I think a lot of people have gotten a ray of sunshine and some faith and even a little fun from this program. So if you'd like to support us, please go to AngieAustinRadio.com. We would like to help you build your business or nonprofit as well. AngieAustinRadio.com and click on Contact. I'd love to hear from you, and I'd love to help you build your business. Welcome back to the good news. Well, interestingly enough, Ian Humphrey is still here because the ladies were debating after the good news gals. You know, they have some pull on the show. And so uh, Michelle <laughs> Michelle is friends with Ian. And Michelle has known Ian's wife, Katie, since like the fifth grade, since grade school. Uh, Jennifer is here. Jennifer's got her own story. Her husband diagnosed with uh, Lou Gehrig's disease 17 years ago. That's how I met her because I introduced him at a big event. And he's still alive. And then uh, you and I, Donna. Uh, Donna Hetzler, another good news gal who has her own Christian ministry for women. We grew up with uh, siblings who uh, suffer from schizophrenia and had our own interesting upbringings uh, and throw that into the mix of the drugs and alcohol and abuse in my childhood home. So there was a potpourri of dysfunction. And Cindy, uh, Cindy is so uh, involved, uh, good news gal, um, in philanthropy and has such a wonderful life that it took me a couple of years to figure out Cindy had also overcome many of these childhood demons over the years. And I think that's what's so beautiful about this team of good news gals uh, is that we've many of us used our faith to really help transform our lives uh, or, our, you know, the Lord has transformed our lives. So we like to offer these stories of hope. And Ian, that's exactly what your story is. So we're going to go back to hearing Ian speak. So we've already heard that when uh, he was um, born, he was born premature, that uh, water was, boiling water was poured on his mother, and she delivered him early. So he started off with a rough start being born a couple months premature. His mom was then suffering from pain and on painkillers. He got a hold of those painkillers when he was just, you know, a little bit older than a toddler, and they took him away from his mother, and he was placed with Miss Alexander, who was a very abusive uh, foster home uh, mother, foster mother, and that his grandmother fought to get him back. Then he was with his grandmother, and his mother died then when Ian was 12. And so his mother and his grandmother obviously had a very uh, profound impact on him. But losing his mom at 12, uh, he started straying from the path they had laid for him, and he got in trouble and was sentenced to 15 years in prison. He did four. Now, um, one quick question, Ian. How long before we get back into your testimony and we hear you speaking again, how long were you in foster care with Miss Alexander, who also would tell you you're stupid and you were abused there? How long were you there? From three to nine. You were there wow. that long? Oh, I didn't know that when I heard your story. I thought it was a shorter period. So she really was able to help try to mold you. Yeah. So three to nine and then nine to 12, you got back in the care of your mother and grandmother. Yes. <clears throat> oh, so um, we're, we're going to pick your story up, set it up. You're, you've been sentenced. And you mentioned there was a little girl there uh, at, when you were sentenced uh, whose father, you said you'd almost taken his life. And she said, you took my Superman away from me. Correct. And so set up where we're going to pick up with your story here. So after she, I mean, the victim, they have a chance to, to speak. So she said those things. And I stood in the courtroom and the judge looked at me and said, the state of California finds you guilty of armed robbery and assault with a deadly weapon and sentences you to 15 years in prison. And how old are you then when you go into prison? 
19. 19. Mm. We're hearing voices. Heard the voice of my foster mom saying, you're stupid and you ain't gonna ever amount to nothing. Heard the voice of family members and friends of family that said, that boy's gonna end up just like his father. My father was a career criminal, he died in prison. I can remember laying there thinking to myself that this is where I'm gonna die. But here's what happened that would change my life. Shortly after I arrived to that prison, there was an educator there. His name was Charles Lyles, six foot three, ex-Marine. And I don't know what it was about me, but every time he saw me, he'd say, hey, Mr. Humphrey. And he had this big smile on his face, a smile that my kids would say, that's creepy. <laughs> but he'd smile and he'd say, hey, Mr. Humphrey, how are you doing? He always called me Mr. Humphrey. He gave me that respect. He walked into my cell. He looked at me and he said, Mr. Humphrey, he says, prison doesn't have to be your life. He says, you can get out of here and you can do great things. He started to walk away and before he walked out of my cell, he turned around one last time and he says, Mr. Humphrey. I said, yes, sir. He says, I believe in you. And he walked out of my cell. And if he had continued to stand there, he would have seen the tears running down my face because no one had ever said that to me. But I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to make some changes and I'm going to change my life. And a little over four years after the day I originally collapsed and fell to the floor, I walked out of that prison on parole. That was over 18 years ago. I've never been back other than to mentor and help other people. But here's what I know. I know that when you've had a rough life, when you feel unwanted, I know that when you have hopes and dreams and when you have things that you can look forward to and when you have people in place that support you and push you, I know that that gives you a reason to live. It is a great day to be alive. And that's something that I haven't always said, but now it's something that I say to myself every single day at some point. If I'm having a great day or a bad day, that's something that I say. But what I also understand is that what my grandmother was thanking her higher power for each and every day was for the opportunity that she'd been given. And she never missed an opportunity to tell anyone that would listen, especially me, it's a great day to be alive. What are you thinking, your grandma? <laughs> Absolutely. Um... Yeah, the impact that she had, that she had on my life. Um, you know, the, the educator that was there at that right time for me, I believe people come into your life at oh, the right yeah. time. I don't, the ex-Marine. Yes. I don't know that, you know, not, there aren't a lot of things that happen like that that I would consider to be just an accident or, you know. But he was there in that prison. He was from Detroit, a rough part of Detroit. And... You know, I assume maybe that's what it was. He knew where I was from, but he never treated me how I felt. He never treated me how sometimes I felt I deserved to be treated less than mm. because I was a convicted felon. He always treated me like a man and he gave me, he always treated me with respect. And, you know, I, when he spoke those words to me, it's sad that that I have educators in my family, my, my wife's side of the family, they're educators in my family. But it's sad that I had never heard those words. I believe in you? Yeah. Hmm. Until I was sitting in a prison cell. But they came at the right time for me. Because at that moment in prison, as I said in that video, 
I had heard many people told me that I was going to go to prison. And I believed in my heart that that was where I was going to die. Mm. And uh, that's sad. It's tragic that there are still people there that feel that way. Right. Who haven't, haven't ever been told that, you know, I believe in you. And just that indoctrination re- you receive from three to nine with your foster mom telling you you're stupid and all those things. I don't think people le- believe how, understand how powerful these labels are when people call, you know, label children things. Michelle, you said, and you're friends with Ian, you've known Ian's wife, Katie, since grade school. You said, uh, Michelle, that uh, that that part really hit you, the ex-Marine, the educator in prison telling Ian, I believe in you. Yeah, it did, because I feel that that was probably a pivotal time in Ian's development and in his change. And I think that a lot of times people just don't understand the powerful impact that their words and their beliefs about you can have on you. You know, often people end up becoming what people believe that they will become. Mm -hmm. That's true. And you know, this doesn't have to be on all levels. Kids in school, like that's the bad kid. Mm -hmm. They end up being the bad kid in school. Everybody told them they're just going to be what they've been told and they be, they believe these things. Um, so I just think it's really uh, powerful that somebody uh, treated him with respect and treated him the way that he thought as if he was the person that he already believed that Ian could become. Right. You know, I thought that was pretty fantastic. Um, I don't know. I love kids and mentoring people, mentoring the youth, and I know that they need that. They need to hear they need to know that people believe in them. Absolutely. And I know that yeah. anything I've ever accomplished, it's always been because somebody has been there telling me they believe that they believed in me. I didn't experience that those words until I met David. Hmm. So we've talked about living in an unhealthy environment and I'm struggling right now with my sister going through emotional abuse and um, being told that she can't, that she's not good. So Ian, when you were talking, I. I made a lot of notes about how I can encourage my sister, but um, she is so beaten down by um, nobody wants you. Um, you're not loved. And um, I didn't hear I believe in you until I met David. And David stood behind me and said, I believe that you can be a successful businesswoman. I believe that you know you can do this, that, or the other. And it, it's life-changing when mm-hmm. someone stands beside you like that. It's Absolutely. empowering. It really is. Yes. So words are so impactful. And um, you're so on. I think it was Harvard that did a study and they were growing two plants. And one of the plants were, you know, talked nice, encouraging, uplifting words. And the other one was cussed at and, you know, and it's a study. I mean, and the plant that was, you know, given those nice words grew and was amazing. And the other one like was dead. And I'm like, that doesn't tell you. Right. Producer David talked about that the last time. And so I bought flowers right after Mother's Day. And then we had a hailstorm. And so they got obliviated, right? So I've been talking to them to see if it works. They're blooming. See, I'm, I'm like, I can't wait to see your rebloom. You are strong. You are gorgeous. <laughs> you know, I'm saying all bella in Italian. I'm doing all my stuff. And they're, they are reblooming. Can you believe Crazy. that? I know. Crazy. Uh, I I'm it. curious, too, if... Um, 
forgiveness because mm. sometimes I think um, the people who abuse us or label us as kids can still be given power over us as adults and they can ruin our future if we don't forgive them because I feel like they hold the reins on our life if we harbor this unforgiveness in our hearts towards them then how do you ever achieve excel or move on I told the ladies it's like carrying around a backpack with rocks in it and whenever you forgive somebody it's like unloading a rock and then all of a sudden you're so light when you can let go of all of these past grievances and I I deserved uh, this anger towards my foster mom and um, you know I, I've earned this and you don't know what I've been through um, because of this you know what she did to me I'm where I am and so I have a right to this anger and unforgiveness towards them but I, I, I truly believe that I wouldn't have the life for my family that I have had I not been able to move through that forgiveness and one of my brothers who was schizophrenic and uh, went in the military and ended up being murdered um, way before his time um, he was uh, very violent and had issues with alcohol and addiction, and uh, and my dad also very violent uh, when he was drinking. And when my dad called me six years ago, I could tell that I'd forgiven him when I heard his voice because I just I could feel it. You know, I could feel the forgiveness. And with my brother as well. I mean, he physically harmed me. Uh, kicked me in the face with a com with combat boots, and I had to have three surgeries on my face in order to like rebuild that. And I have to say that I have no anger towards him, only empathy or kind of maybe a little bit of sadness that I feel he wasn't given the opportunities in life that I was given. But I feel if I would have drugged that anger uh, around. Um, uh, towards them that I wouldn't be able to, I was standing in my backyard just last week watching my six foot six athletic husband toss a ball to my son, looking at our beautiful home and all the land we have. I live not far from you, Ian, actually. And, um, I was thinking, how could this have become my life? Like how beautiful it is. And that maybe I was given a better hand, but I feel that the Lord's, um, ability that he put in me to forgive others really that is kind of my secret i think mm -hmm. so how did that work for you how did i mean i i hate your foster mom just hearing your story like i hate her guts but i know that if that i would have lived through that that i would have had to have forgiven her or you couldn't raise right. these four beautiful children and have this wonderful marriage you have now right that has taken a lot of time for me because when i look back on my life kind of how everything unfolded, I used to get very, very angry. I believe it. And then I would look at my dad. You know, there was just so many different components. My yeah. father was in prison when my mom had her accident. If he hadn't been in prison, I don't go to the foster care system. So I've got all these anger that I'm dealing with. Mm -hmm. But what I learned is, and this is through help with people that I've surrounded myself with, one being my wife, the most forgiving person that I know, but as long as I held on to that anger, I couldn't move forward, as you said. It prevented yeah, me from You're just like stuck. Forward. It's you're like stuck. cement shoes. Mm -hmm. And the other part of that is, and this is my belief, but as long as I held on to that anger for my father and for my foster mom, I felt as though I were dying still. It wasn't until I was able to let go and completely forgive them and to be able to discuss the things that have happened in my life, that makes me, that gives me life. How'd you do it? You know, a lot of prayer.
my grandmother was, I guess, one of the most forgiving women that I ever knew. Even though my father struggled and he was in and out of prison and my grandmother knew some of the things that he had done, she never said a false word about him. She never said a bad word about him. She forgave him and she taught that. So forgiveness is something that that was instilled in us at a very young age. When you've gone through things, of course, it's not as easy as it sounds, but it's possible to do it and it's necessary. I agree. Necessary if you want to move on, right? Absolutely. So what do you think? Um, people that knew you and your brother you mentioned and, you know, your grandmother, I'm assuming, is no longer. She's deceased, yeah. So how do you think she'd feel about, did she get to see any of your success and your children and your wife? You know, my grandmother, she met, she, she, she met my wife and she met some of our children at that time, I was still kind of trying to get my bearings. So I was still, I wouldn't at that time have called myself successful when she passed. I was, I was doing well, I was doing okay, but I wasn't where I wanted to go. If she could see me now, and I can tell you that. Uh, she can, she does. <laughs> <laughs> she does, sorry, it's She's my belief. Yep. Uh, absolutely. She's smiling. But she's shouting in heaven. Yeah, I'll bet. And she's saying, that's my grandbaby. Yeah. <laughs> and your mom, too. And my mom, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, what uh, for par parting words, what do you want to leave us with, Ian? Again, Ian Humphrey, uh, author of It's Not About the Knockdown. What, what do you want to leave us with? We have a minute. Well, I guess in one minute, the last thing that I would like to say is, you know, there are a lot of people, we never know what someone else has gone through in their life. And I believe that each and every last one of us, we have a story that can help to lift someone up. And that's the most important thing. When you've gone through something rough in your life, the best way to move forward is to reach back and help somebody else make it through their tough times. Amen. Good stuff, huh, Ooh, Michelle, your friend, yes. Ian? Yeah, killed it. <laughs> killed it. All right. yeah. Ian, your website? <laughs> is www.ianhumphrey.com. IanHumphrey.com. We'll be right back with the good news. Thank you, Ian. God bless you. Thank you for having me. Hi, it's Angie. Hey, do you have a lot of things around your house you want to get rid of? My husband wants me to get rid of anything and everything that is in his way. 303-238-JANE. I love ARC. They help people in our community. Every dollar you spend helps and everything you donate helps. 303-238-JANE. They bring a truck right to my house. I actually have them come every month or two and it is so helpful to get that place cleaned out because you know what? My husband's a lot nicer to me when I donate things and who better to donate to than ARC? 303-238-JANE and arcthrift.org for a location near you if you just want to drop a few things off and do a little shopping. arcthrift.org, shopping with a purpose. I love Arc. Angie Austin here along with Miss Cindy, Cindy Everett Marsh. Cindy Marsh talking to us about... Uh, you know, our minds and forgetting and Alzheimer's, you know, we think, oh, well, if that happens to us, there's nothing we can do. But Cindy, you have some really interesting information, something that you've been doing health-wise that I think people will find very interesting. Yes. Um, I want to first comment before I go uh, start out with my information is the reason I even started into this is my mother has Alzheimer's. Her brother had 
uh, passed away of Alzheimer's. And um, I found out through doing genetic studies that I have one of the genes for Alzheimer's, which doesn't mean I'm going to get Alzheimer's, but it means I have one of the risk factors. It's like if you smoke, you might get heart disease, that sort of thing. And so it led me into a journey of seeking information of anything out there. And what I came up with that is there is hope in the fight against Alzheimer's disease. And I think that this is beneficial for anyone, regardless of whether you think or know that you're going to get Alzheimer's. I think that a lot of the things that he's going to teach us about in terms of health are things that will help you live longer and be healthier and be able to enjoy your years for a longer period of time with better quality of life with some of these tips. And this literally it goes for preventing and reversing cognitive decline. One in 10 individuals in the United States, um, age 65 or older, has Alzheimer's. That's a 2017 statistic. And this is kind of the current situation is um, the statistics for cognitive decline and dementia are staggering. According to the Alzheimer's Association, over 5.5 million Americans are currently living with Alzheimer's disease. And the total is continuing to grow as the population ages. So the number of affected individuals that we'll be dealing with are increasing, as well as our system is dealing with. And up until now, there has been very little that can be done to prevent or slow down cognitive decline, but that is changing rapidly. So there is good news. Alzheimer's disease is now a treatable condition. There's something, uh, the Bredesen Protocol is what I'm going to talk about, and that's what I came up with. There's a uh, physician, he's a scientist as well, Dr. Dale Bredesen. He's worked and researched for over 30 years to develop what's called the Bredesen Protocol. And I personally am on the preventive aspect of this, which is out there for anyone that is open to it. I mean, I'm, I'm I have no diagnosis. I have no reason to even think that I have cognitive decline at this point, other than I am a um, survivor of a brain injury, which is one of the side effects for that. Uh, the protocol is a systematic treatment program that has been shown to be effective in treating patients with cognitive impairment. Uh, what it does, it reverses and preventing cognitive decline is a complicated issues. There really is no easy fix or simple medication that works. The protocol involves gathering a number of data points, including questionnaires, lab work, and neurological testing to develop a plan. And he puts this plan into a computer system that he's come up with and it includes, when you get your results back, it includes a diet, exercise every day, supplements that he'll recommend according to how your results come back, sleep recommendations, and that's according, having sleep apnea is a big deal with dementia and even with how your brain ages. Yes. And all this is personalized to you. And after you get this plan, it's implemented, and then your progress is tracked in a designated way. So um, there are uh, it's a key element in the treatment of implementing uh, uh, a lifestyle changes. So we have a full-time, and then they also have a full-time health coach every step of the way with the call. Um, I would like to say that here in Denver, Colorado, that the TLC, the Littleton Clinic, and uh, Dr. Hopp 
is a contact here for the Bredesen Protocol. And her number is 720-351-2411, or she can be reached at www.thelittletonclinic.com for more information on the Bredesen Protocol and the hope and the fight against reversing cognitive decline. Again, that's thelittletonclinic.com, thelittletonclinic.com, TLC, uh, thelittletonclinic.com is where you find it. And uh, if you have any questions for Cindy about Dr. Hop, you can go to angieaustinradio.com and email me, and I'll get you in touch with Cindy if you're interested in uh, working with or talking to Dr. Hop about the plan that Cindy's following. And by the way, uh, Dave, a lot of people think Cindy's a lot younger than she is, too. So not only does it help you and your brain, but she's just plain healthy, you know? Yeah, he's nodding. <laughs> the plan is just good, healthy living, yes. literally. Yep. That's what it is. That's the plan. All right, thanks for listening to the good news. Thanks for listening to The Good News with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at AngieAustinRadio.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.